0: Well, good morning. I hope none of you ate as much pie this week as I did. We had like seven pies at our house on Thanksgiving. I I think I ate five pieces on Thanksgiving Day, and then in order to conserve calories that evening, I didn't eat dinner. I just ate two more pieces of pie. If you are a parent or if you aspire to be a parent at some point, what makes you think that you're qualified for that daunting task? I can think of only one possible answer to that question that's in keeping with what God's Word tells us and that is you're not. The only one who is adequate to raise a child is the one who created the child and that's God. No matter how wise and skillful you are as a parent you will often fall short not just of God's design for parenting but even of your own design, and expectations. If any of the self-proclaimed experts on Christian child-rearing say to you that they can show you how to avoid those errors, change the channel because they're wasting your time. In Luke eleven thirteen, 13, Jesus speaking to his disciples said, if you then, being evil, Know how to give good gifts to your children? How much more shall your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That's His assessment of us as parents. If you then being evil. Can you do that for your children? Can you impart the Holy Spirit to your children? No. (laughs) It's very important to bear in mind who can. In fact, that's the starting point to being a parent who is effectively used by God. I've heard some Christian young people say that they don't plan to have children because the world as it is today is just too hard a place to raise kids. And they are speaking firsthand from the perspective of kids growing up in this culture. But that strategy for addressing, or rather for for dodging the problem gives far too much credit to us and not nearly enough credit to God. The God who, according to Ephesians 1.11, works all things according to the counsel of His own will, the God who causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, that God is not dependent on the quality of our judgment as parents in order to ensure that our children are blessed. He's not dependent on the quality of our children's schooling or of the culture's opinion of their faith or on anything else to ensure that our children are blessed. When all is said and done, the well-being of our children depends only, only on the faithfulness of our God. And so that makes us utterly dependent on Him. Therefore, the single most important and most powerful thing that we will ever do for our children is to pray for them, to lift them up daily to the only perfect Father, the shepherd and guardian of our souls. But as with all that God assigns to us, His sovereignty does not in any way diminish our responsibility to do what He requires of us. Parenting is a sacred assignment from God, and it's one that He intends for us to take very seriously. And He hasn't been unclear about His requirements for us as parents when it comes to loving and teaching and disciplining our children, His children, whom He's entrusted to our care. And the very first thing that struck me as I read and reread the central text this morning, Proverbs four, in preparation for this message, is that fathers matter. Proverbs four verses one through five, Solomon is speaking, and he says, "Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding." And then in the, verse 3 he says, When I was a son to my father, tender, and the only son in the side of my mother, then he taught me. And he said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. See, Solomon is passing along to his son the very wisdom that he received from his own father. And that was King David, by the way. A very large percentage of the book of Proverbs is made up of earnest instruction from a father to his sons. Proverbs directly presents that as the context, a father instructing his son or sons, at least ten times. And it speaks of the instruction of a mother to her son four times. Now, I don't take that difference in verse counts to mean that a father's instruction is more important than a mother's instruction, but, but this much is very, very clear. Fathers matter. A father does not get to take his hands off of child-rearing because he's delegated it to his wife. And then to only come into the picture when there's a crisis. In Ephesians 6, verse 4, Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I kind of bounced this off of Bob to see if I was thinking right, and he agreed That's a contrast in two parts. On the one hand, you have a father who provokes his children to anger, and on the other hand, you have a father who brings his children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The second is the cure to the first. The father who steps into and out of his children's lives only at certain points. The father whose voice is only heard when it's time for scoldings to be meted out whose only touch is felt as an instrument of correction, that father will build a foundation of resentment in his children rather than a humble and willing submission to the way of the Lord. Don't get me wrong, even the most godly and consistent of parents can end up with an angry, resentful child. We don't have the power to control the heart of another person, and that includes our children. And, And if we assume that we can, we'll do more harm than good. But the point is this, how do we as fathers and parents raise up our children without provoking them to anger? The answer is, we lovingly, faithfully, and consistently bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And this is talking specifically, especially to fathers. Now, not all men have the spiritual gift of teaching, but every father has the sacred assignment to faithfully teach his sons and daughters the things of the Lord. It is the father, not the mother, to whom the primary responsibility of child-rearing is placed by God. Now, there's nothing wrong with the father delegating much of the day-to-day oversight and training of the children to his wife, particularly if, She's an at-home mom and has a whole lot more time every day with the children. But when a father delegates responsibility for certain aspects of child raising to his wife, he does not abdicate accountability to God to raise his children on God's terms. Fatherhood done God's way means that the dad has a very active and very constant role in loving, teaching, Exhorting, correcting, and disciplining his children, and in diligently overseeing the entire process of child rearing. Dads, if that does not describe your level of involvement in the process of raising your children, then perhaps you need to take a close look at your priorities and change some things, because that is God's assignment to fathers. As of the 2010 census, One out of every three children in America are being raised by single mothers. If you're one of those single mothers, your task is a tough one. But fear not. There is no greater advocate for those who are at a disadvantage than God. He's the champion of the downtrodden. He's all about exalting the humble and humbling the exalted. (laughs) And as I said before, he's the only one who is adequate to raise a child in the first place. Just be very sure, mothers, all mothers, that you're plugged into his word daily. That you're seeking to do what you see in his word. And that you're lifting your children up to him in prayer constantly. He'll faithfully direct your steps. All right, the first point... Fathers matter. The second point, make sure your instruction as a parent is God's instruction. In Proverbs 4, verse 2, Solomon says to his son, For I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. And then verse 11, he says, I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright paths. Are you able to say that to your own children with confidence? How are you supposed to know if your instruction and discipline of your children is in keeping with what God intends? Where do you get the right information, the right foundation for moral and even for practical decision-making to impart to your children? Well, Look at these words, also Solomon's words in chapter 2 to his son. My son, if you will receive my sayings and treasure my commandment with my commandments within you. Make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. If you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures. Now in those verses, Solomon's talking about what he's telling his son. But look at the next verses. Then You will discern the fear of the Lord. You will discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. There is no other source of wisdom and understanding. Make sure your instruction to your children is God's instruction. And in order to do that, you must diligently be saturated with the Word of God yourself. Don't ever depend on me or any other person to tell you what God has to say about things. Make His Word your meditation every day. And if you do, you know what's going to happen? According to Psalm 119, verses 97 to 100, if you make His Word your earnest meditation every day, then no matter what your educational background, no matter what your IQ The wisdom that you impart to your children will blow the doors off the very best that they will ever encounter from any educational establishment, from any teacher, from any wise person, from any aged person in this world. Because the world does not have that wisdom to offer. Only God does. Fathers matter. Make sure that your instruction is God's instruction and recognize that God's instruction is fitting always and in every place. Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema. The word Shema means here. And this passage is considered by Jews to be the very heart of the law of Moses. This is one of the passages they carry around, the Orthodox Jews carry around. It. In the phylacteries they wear on their heads and on their arms. The Jews rightly understand the importance of this passage. God is calling his people to hear his revelation to them of himself and of his commandments. And in verses 6 to 9, I'm going to skip to that and then come back to the first couple. In verses 6 to 9, he says these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. He gives us, God gives us two pairs of events when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. Now, if you're one of those people who thinks that 70 times 7 always equals 490, you might think that those are the only four circumstances in which God intends for us to speak of the things of the Lord to our children. But Deuteronomy 6 verse 7 is using a literary, a simple literary device. It's very, very common. It's called a merism. It's when Two parts of something are put to represent the whole. This happens in Scripture all the time. Revelation 21, uh, 22, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Does that mean he's absent in the middle? No. It means he is all in all. And in Deuteronomy 6, when God tells parents to teach His words to our children when we sit in our house and when we walk by the way, when we lie down and when we rise up. He means to teach His words to our children all the time and everywhere. Now, this doesn't mean that the only thing you ever talk about with your children is the Bible. (laughs) It means that there is never a time or a place in which it is not appropriate to talk to your children about the Bible, about the things that God has made known. But the value for your children of your instruction and discipline is not just a function of what you know of God's Word. It's a function of whom you know. Your relationship with God is paramount to child-rearing as it is to every other aspect of life. And I'm going to come back then to the first couple of verses of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. The truth of God and the wisdom of God have been given to us so that we will come to know God, to love God, and to honor God all the time and in all contexts because God is our life. The love of God, the knowledge of the things of God, obedience to God, those are not things that we pigeonhole off into some corner of our lives so that we can bring them out at critical points. If you do that, if that's the way you live your life, your kids are going to come to the conclusion that the things of the Lord are about as urgently important as the fire extinguisher sitting behind the jar of peanut butter in your pantry. They might need it someday, but until there's a fire, the peanut butter is of higher priority. The personal knowledge of God is our life, and for the father or mother who loves the Lord with all his heart and soul and strength, the thought of not talking with his or her children about the things of the Lord in every context of life is inconceivable. And so, even when you're talking with your son or daughter about something as pragmatic as how to budget for college expenses, you make it clear that you and your child are dependent on God for the wisdom to sort such things out. And you're certainly dependent on God for the provision to make it happen. And that means, of course, that you pray a whole lot love the lord your god with all you are and with all you have all you have when your children see that as your controlling priority day in and day out then your instruction to them from the word of god about the things of god will carry some weight by the way if that's the way you live you are very likely at some point to hear words like these from your kids dad why do you always make everything spiritual Some things are not right or wrong. They just are. Why can't you ever just be practical? If you get that little challenge from your kids, guys, don't apologize. Press on and keep doing what you're doing because it means you're doing something right. My beloved daughter, Jessie, told me last night when we were talking about this message, and I do have her permission to say this, that my and Debbie's persistence in speaking to her about the things of God in all contexts of life, in other words of being spiritual, is the best thing that we have ever done for her. She said she used to dread the often one-sided discussions that she knew were about to happen when we would go upstairs and knock on her bedroom door and, and say we need to talk to you. But now She sees the things that we said to her as invaluable. What a blessing it is to hear those words from your child. Parents, don't apologize for passing along to your children what God has clearly declared. And don't discipline in a vacuum. God doesn't do it that way, and neither should you. I have many fond memories of my dear mother, who is now with her Savior, One of the many things that she did as a parent that heavily influenced uh, my understanding of parenting is that she explained stuff. Even when I was very young, and my brother was young, and she had to be very simplistic in her explanations, she would take the time with us when she corrected and disciplined us, which was a very regular occurrence. (laughs) She would take time with us to reason with us. She talked to us about the impact of our behavior on ourselves and on others. She talked about character and integrity and perseverance and hard work and tenacity. She talked about what love does, not just how it feels. She often pointed out things that we hadn't even considered from our very selfish, very childish perspective. She didn't owe that to us in one sense. She had the authority as a parent under God to say, do this and don't do that because I said so. And if that's all she had ever done, we would still be accountable to God to obey her. But one thing that came through loud and clear from the strategy that she applied in child rearing was that she cared about our well-being and about the well-being of the people who were impacted by our choices And actions. And once I became a believer when I was 16, I came to understand that what she cared most about was doing that which honored her Savior and her Master. That's the way God raises His kids, except He does it perfectly. He doesn't owe us an explanation for anything. The only thing He owes us is eternal condemnation because that's what we've earned by our sin. But for us whom he has graciously called out of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. It is God's intention to make sons and daughters who reflect his character. And that means he teaches us about his character. He instructs. And he gives us understanding that we could not have if he didn't instruct. And so... He's chosen not to make us holy simply by speaking a word and making us instantly holy. He could do that, right? He's chosen to do it in much the same way that he instructs us to do it. Through a painstaking and often painful process of instruction and discipline. Just read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 13 sometime, and you'll see that comparison between fatherly discipline on earth and the fatherly discipline of a perfect father. So we find in Proverbs and throughout Scripture that the God who created the the universe bothers to reason with his children, often to explain the same lessons over and over and over again because we're kind of dense. But he never compromises the assignment to us to be holy because he is holy. His approach to child-rearing must be ours, his standard must be ours now let's talk in wrapping up this morning about the parents challenge to his children what is it that we are called to exhort our children about proverbs 4 includes several imperatives specific commands that solomon gave to his own son and those imperatives give us a very helpful framework for knowing how god would have us challenge our kids to true wisdom and godliness. And there are four points that I observe in that passage. Pay attention to godly instruction. Go after wisdom. Know the consequences of neglect. And actually, there's one that should be there. Know the benefits of pursuing wisdom and know the consequences of neglecting it. And finally, guard instruction. Let's look at those quickly, one at a time. Pay attention to godly instruction. Proverbs 4, verse 1, Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. Verse 10, Hear, my son, accept my sayings. Verse 20, My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Two chapters before, Solomon says, My son, if you will receive my sayings, treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. Cry for discernment. Lift your voice for understanding. Seek her as silver. Search for her as for hidden treasures. Proverbs 1-8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Proverbs 5-1. My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. Proverbs 5-7. Now then, my sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Now, guys, if you said anything that many times to your children, what would they say you were doing? Nagging! But God gets to nag. Every parent in this room has seen the inevitable eye roll that results when you say words like, listen to me. Are you listening to me? But when it comes to the instruction that we pass on to our children from God, our legitimate appeal to them, our emphatic and repeated appeal to them is to pay attention to that instruction, to listen carefully to it, to heed it, to act on it. You know why? Because it's their life. If you told your four-year-old not to play on the highway and he had trouble understanding it, how many times would you say it? Of course, you'd do some other things to make sure he didn't play on the highway. How about your 16-year-old? Children... When it feels to you like your parents are wearing you down with the constant exhortation to hear and to cling to the things that God has made known to us, recognize that they are doing exactly what God has told them to do for his sake and for your well-being. If you have parents who bother to point out to you what God has to say about things, you're part of a very small minority in this world, and you should be praising god that he put you under the authority of parents such as those all right pay attention to godly instruction go after wisdom these are the challenges of a parent to his children proverbs 4 verses 3 through 7 when i was a son to my father tender and the only son in the side of my mother then he taught me and said to me let your heart Hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. And then look what he says in verse 5. Acquire wisdom. Acquire understanding. Then in verse 7, the beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. And with all your acquiring, get understanding. What he's saying is go after it. Pursue it. Don't let go until you have it. In Proverbs 2, Solomon Tells his son to pursue wisdom as he would search for hidden treasure. Go on YouTube sometime and look at how gold is mined in a mine. Not just panning, but in a mine. You have to go through tons of useless rock to get to the nugget of gold. And it's a whole lot of work. It takes a lot of discipline. It takes perseverance. It takes forbearance. How many of you have seen the movie Courageous? A Christian-produced movie. If you haven't, I highly recommend it. There have been a lot of Christian movies that were badly done. That one's well done. Um, in that movie, uh, the movie is a true story about a policeman. Uh, and the, the heart of the movie is it's about fathers very intentionally challenging their children to be courageous, to step up to the plate and to be men and women of God. And for the father and son who are the central characters in that story, it wasn't easy for either of them to go through that process. But the father's earnest challenge to his son was exceedingly valuable to his son. In the final analysis, it turned his life around. Call your children to go after wisdom and do it fervently. Know the benefits of pursuing wisdom. Proverbs 4, verse 7. uh, Acquire wisdom, and then right after that, there's a list of benefits. Prize wisdom, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with the crown of beauty. The years of your life will be many. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded. If you run, you will not stumble. Wisdom is your life. A few verses later, My words that came from God they are life to those who find them and health to all their whole body the heart of wisdom from it flow springs of life if you if you cling to wisdom all of your ways will be established uh, that's just a that's just the tip of the iceberg proverbs is full of the benefits of wisdom and know the consequences of neglecting wisdom in verse 14 Solomon says, do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they do evil. They are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. And then he says, the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. He's saying, son, you don't want what they have to offer. That point and this last one are tied to the exhortation not to discipline in a vacuum. All three of these last points. Instruct your children about the benefits of wisdom and the consequences of neglecting it. And then teach them to guard wisdom. See, we're called to explain to our children the value of the things of the Lord. Guard instruction. Proverbs 4, verse 13. Take hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. He says, do not let my words depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Watch over your heart with all diligence. Let your eyes look directly ahead. Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet. All of your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. That's a whole lot of different ways to say to your child, be careful about this. The word guard in verse 13 is a powerful word. It uh, it often has the military connotation of a soldier standing guard in the night watches. What would you think if you were on guard duty at the front lines of a battle in the middle of the night, And you knew that there were enemy soldiers within spitting distance of you. And all of a sudden, your foxhole partner got up and stepped up out of the foxhole and started casually walking around, and then he pulled his iPod out of his back pocket and stuck his earbuds in his ears and started singing along with his music. Well, if you didn't shoot him yourself, someone on the other side would likely dispatch him in short order. And he would become legendary as one of the biggest idiots in the history of the U.S. military. But guys, when it comes to the pitched spiritual battle in which you and I are engaged every day, we often act just as foolishly as that soldier. We act as if the battle isn't even going on. We lose sight of the urgency and of the intensity because we stop paying attention to what God tells us is true. And we believe an alternate reality that does not exist. And so God urges us, he exhorts us emphatically, not once, but over and over and over to keep guard over the instruction that we've received from him and he tells us to tell our children to do the same. There's a very real threat all around us that we cannot ignore for even a minute. If you were here when we talked about proverbs and on the theme of sexual temptation you saw these slides before these are slaughterhouse chutes we talked about how they are designed to deceive cows The the cow can't see what's going on on the outside of the chute once he gets into the entrance there's only one direction that he's able to go and the curves in the chute are designed so that he can't see the end point until he's there God calls us to hold fast to and to teach our children to hold fast to the intense training and discipline that he has imparted to us in order to make us fit for a deadly, serious battle that is not against flesh and blood, but is against the rulers and the authorities, against the world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We have been given the full armor of God in Jesus Christ. May we faithfully call our children to lay hold of that armor and never let go. Loving Father, we thank you again that you haven't left us to guess. You've given us the greatest guidebook on parenting that exists in the universe. And you have shown us, Lord, by all of your dealings with us, what it means to take a child who does not know wisdom and to teach him what it is. Thank you, Father, for showing us what a perfect father is like. Thank you, Lord, for giving to us your spirit. We pray for our children with all of our hearts that you would bring them to faith in you, those that don't yet know you, that they would come to trust only in Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they would fix their eyes on the author and perfecter of faith and they would grow up in wisdom and stature before you and before men because of your hand on them, because of your spirit in them. And we pray, Lord, that you might see fit to make us very, very useful for that process in the lives of our children, as you always are our sufficiency in all things. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name.